for us, you don't necessarily need to be a boxer. If you have group group X experience and you've taught, you know, classes to large groups of individuals, you've got high energy, you've got a good personality, those sort of things. We can teach you the boxing component of it in a couple of weeks and, and you can be, you know, a very good rumble instructor. Hi there, welcome to the Business Side of Fitness podcast. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. Each week on the show, I leverage my two decades of experience in the fitness and wellness industry to have meaningful conversations with the movers and shakers behind some of the most well-known and innovative brands in our industry. This show is brought to you by Vanessa Severiano, LLC. To find out more about working with me, click the link in the show notes. And now the time has come to start the show. Everyone's got a story and it's time to hear from this week's guest. Let's welcome to the show, Sean Grove. He's the president of Rumble, a boxing concept, which recently joined the exponential portfolio of franchise businesses. With deep roots in the fitness industry and a variety of roles, Sean is poised to take Rumble to new heights. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you very much for having me. I am so excited to talk to you because you have this really interesting background. We were just chatting before hitting record, which is like my number one, like fatal flaw. I always like to chit chat too much and get good stuff before hitting record. But I guess just to get started, why don't you explain a little bit about your background to the audience and how you came to be the president of Rumble? What were all those little twists and turns? Sure, sure. So it's it's been an interesting an interesting road and an, an interesting ride in my career. I was I've always been into fitness. I, I played football in in high school. I played football in college. I played a I played football professionally in Europe for a couple of years after college, and then I I came back and and had to get a job at that point. So I started doing accounting, and I had an undergraduate business degree. So I started doing some accounting and marketing things, and and, and got kind of tired of that quickly. So I decided, all right, law school and went into law school thinking that I would either probably be a sports agent or I would go into the FBI, but never really thought that I would practice law. I went through my first year of law school and then got a summer internship with a sports agent firm here in Southern California. And I quickly decided that probably wasn't the route that I wanted to go either. I think I had a little bit more integrity than some of the things that I was I was seeing kind of go on behind the scenes. So went through my second year of law school. And I got a summer internship with the Securities and Exchange Commission. And I really enjoyed that area of practice because there's so many different things that you can touch on as an attorney. It takes you in so many different areas. So I ended up graduating from law school. And then I went to work for a large plaintiff's class action security law firm down in San Diego that prosecuted the big Enron and, and WorldCom debacles of the early 2000s. Being a new attorney, I really didn't do much other than kind of sit in warehouses and review documents for 80 hours, which burned out pretty quickly as well. And that's when I kind of got into franchising. I had a friend who had a business and, and he was looking to franchise it. And I knew nothing at the time and started kind of working through the legal process of putting uh, the documentation together that he would need it. Used to be called the UFOC is now the FD, but helped him put that together in the process, met a few franchise attorneys and ended up going to work for one of them for a couple of years and really kind of got into the franchising legal landscape. 
But at that point, I realized if I really did want to go in the FBI, that that I needed to kind of get that process started. And so I, I changed careers once I went through the process to become an FBI agent, went through Quantico, uh, ended up being a special agent here in, in Los Angeles for a couple of years. And then they executed what's called a mobility agreement, which gives them the right to move an agent at any time to any place at their discretion. And so they thought it was in their best interest to move me to Boston. I strongly disagreed and wanted to stay in Southern California. So I ended up resigning from the FBI. And I I literally responded to an ad for a general counsel position for a company called LA Boxing. And that's where I met Anthony Geisler, who's the CEO of Exponential Fitness. And Anthony and I have pretty much been joined at the hip ever since. I worked as general counsel for LA Boxing for about a year. And then I became a franchisee of that model. I opened a franchise location here in Southern California and it was the number one studio of the year. So it did really well, which prompted me to want to buy more territories. At that point, we were acquired by a company called UFC Gym. And so I purchased three more territories of UFC Gym, converted my LA boxing over the next two years, stopped working as general counsel for UFC Gym in about 2014, and was just enjoying my life as a a multi-unit franchise owner, just running my businesses. And then Anthony came to me with the Club Pilates concept and asked me to help him with the due diligence and and kind of confirm a lot of the opportunities that he was seeing. And I saw the same things. He allured me to come on as president of Club Pilates with the promise that I would work three days a week. He'd work three days a week. I'd be able to keep my businesses and and life would be good. But lucky for, for both of us, that company really took off and launched what we have today as Exponential Fitness. That was the initial platform that really exploded and, and, and set the stage for all the other brands that we now have under the exponential umbrella. Uh, I was president of Club Pilates for about six years until March of this year when we acquired Rumble. Once again, Anthony came to me with the promise of a better quality of life and, and more money. I'm still waiting to see both of those. But it, it, Rumble has been great so far. It's been another, really another version of Club Pilates that's just absolutely taken off. So that's sort of a kind of the circuitous route of how I became uh, president of Rumble, but my entire kind of journey through uh, fitness franchising into uh, where we are today. I'm dying. You're like Benjamin Button because you've done so much. It's been, <laughs> like, a lot. been a lot. You, you're definitely going to have to write a book at some point because all these twists and turns, like from the FBI to running a, a Pilates business, like didn't see that coming. Right. So, and I, <laughs> I bet you didn't either. Do you use your law degree at all in, in running a fitness brand? Does that come in handy at all for you? It does. I mean, not so much the actual practice of law. I try and stay away from that as much as possible. I still have an active bar license, so I am still licensed. But luckily, we have a big legal team here now. So I had to cross-operate sometimes in the legal field and then also operationally running the business. But on the day-to-day, it's, I think it's incredibly helpful just in the way the legal training kind of teaches you to think and, and be able to compartmentalize things in different ways, right? But for me, it's, it's always good to have that strong legal back because you know when you're running a business, you're always reviewing contracts. You're always looking at something that you can kind of pick up a little more quickly with, with a legal background than you can outside of that. So there are a lot of things that I'm able to move much more quickly on than others who don't have that training and have to kind of wait for the legal team to review things or kind of let you know what something means and that sort of thing. 
but I think it's been, it's been very helpful in the process of things. And, and I think I utilize it all the time, whether it's negotiations or it's just kind of mediating um, issues between franchise partners or between my staff or whatever the case may be. The legal training has absolutely helped for sure. I think Mike Abramson is an attorney too, right? That yes. has a law background. So, okay, let's peek behind the curtain for a second, behind the expo curtain. I think, you know, a lot of people that start fitness or wellness brands really are dreaming of a successful exit, right? So let's give the people what they want. You know, when you were going and looking to acquire Rumble, what was it about Rumble that made it attractive to bring into the Expo portfolio? Yeah, Rumble's been a great brand and we've been, we've had our eye on it for a long time. And uh, we, you know, we, we initiated that space back in, you know, 2004 when we started LA Boxing. That was really probably one of the first boutique fitness concepts that existed. And it was definitely the first boxing inspired type of a workout. And so it's a very close knit sort of industry in the fitness world, you know, overall, but especially within that niche. And so we knew a lot of the people who were involved in Rumble as well as a lot of the other concepts. And when Anthony and I were kind of talking about things as we moved from Club Pilates to Cycle Bar to Stretch Lab and, and on and on, as we looked to acquire new modalities, it was, you know, what are the great modalities that are out there? What, what fits well with our kind of expo team that we have in place? And where do we want to go? We were always interested in boxing, but we weren't that excited about getting back into it if it wasn't something that was, you know, kind of different in what was out there in the landscape. We'd already kind of been there, done that with LA boxing. And there were other sort of, I don't want to call them entire copycats, but came after us with the nine rounds and, and some of the other things that kind of built on that. And when we saw rumble, it was very different. The way, you know, the way that it's branded is one part of it, but just the way that the experience that you get inside that class is completely different than any other boxing inspired workout that you can have out there. It's really kind of having a workout in a nightclub and it's the boxing component of it is just fun. It's not sort of the the stuffy kind of traditional boxing where you're just, you're focused on your technique and and on the punches that you're throwing and that sort of thing. It's really just here are the punches you're going to do, go throw them, have fun. And then, you know, you're going to cross from that over to the benches and do some strength training workout. We're going to go back and forth and you're going to have a good time moving back and forth in the music and the lights and the instructors and just all of it came together. So it was really what we saw in, in the overall concept and the way that they expanded and how quickly um, it was kind of consumed by celebrities. And anytime you have that sort of kind of energy and power behind it, it's going to be a strong brand. And so we were, we were watching it for a while. We were having conversations sort of pre pandemic about acquiring them. Obviously when everything shut down, all conversations shut down. And then when we were able to kind of resurrect things, that's when we really started kind of heating up the conversations and knowing this was going to be the ninth brand that we wanted to bring on. Very cool. I think that I've been to a lot of boxing gyms and I know boxing is a great workout, but honestly, the ambiance hasn't exactly been inspiring. A lot of the boxing gyms that I've been to are really bare bones, kind of gritty, kind of grimy and 
you know, not exactly the place that I see the mommy mafia of, you know, (laughs) going after they drop off their toddlers at preschool. But Rumble is a show and it's sexy and it's fun. What type of growth has Rumble experienced as a brand since becoming an, an expo partner? So there was a lot of power behind it just within our sort of, you know, exponential fitness ecosystem with all of our other franchise owners and other concepts that when they saw this came on, you know, not to kind of toot my own horn, but they saw that I was running it and they knew the team that I was bringing over with me, which I I pulled a lot of the DNA from Club Pilates, some from Cycle Bar, but everybody on my team today has been doing this for several years, knows what they're doing. And uh, they're very passionate about supporting our franchise partners. And there was a lot of, of interest from our existing owners and wanting to cross over into Rumble. So we saw a lot of that. There was also this, you know, I almost call it sort of a cult following of the, the consumers at Rumble. And when they found out that they could own a piece of the business and actually have their own studio, that interest flooded in as well. So today uh, we've got nearly 200 franchise territories sold, which is incredible given that we just started selling them in April. And so it's been, it's been great. I mean, the, the, the reception from, like I said, not only our expo community, but, you know, overall through just organic leads of people who are members or through our, our broker networks has been amazing. And it, it continues to grow right now. Rumble has the largest pipeline of any of our expo brands with interest from potential franchise candidates. I mean, I can understand why, because the brand is just so cool, honestly, and fun. And you just look at the website even, and it's inspiring and exciting. What changes have you had to make to the business to make it repeatable? Because that's, you know, that's a part of the expo, you know, special sauce, right? That's the machine to make this repeatable so that success just happens at every location. So what were those changes? Yeah. The biggest change we had to make was really just sort of functionally the way the studio would be built out and the way it would uh, get kind of created. They, you know, what Expo does really well, I think, is has this sales marketing operations machine that we can throw into any concept. But so Rumble, they, they did a really good job. They had 14 what we call signature studios that we acquired when we bought the brand. And, and they did a great job of scaling that model but that model is very expensive. So to build out one of those models is anywhere from three to $4 million. That is really not scalable on on a large scale from a franchise perspective. So what we had to do was really look at that model and see how we could could bring it down. How do we make it more of a sleek, kind of a real boutique model like we run at Expo. So we had to take it from four to 6,000 square feet down to 2,500 square feet. And in doing that, how do you do that, but still capture the essence of what really makes Rumble Rumble? And the focus that we really looked at was the classroom workout area. So if you look at a signature studio and then you look at one of our boutique studios, it's going to be almost identical. What's going to change and what we had to really scale down was that kind of lavish locker rooms and and front lobby area, sort of, you know, from my perspective, the areas that don't drive ROI. So if, if we look at one of our spaces at Expo, there's, there's contemplation under every square foot that's there and it's driving revenue to the franchise partner somehow. So we took that concept that we, we kind of layered in through Cycle Bar and Row House and some of our others that have that sort of high energy, you know, loud music, that kind of thing. So that box in a box concept, and then let's just kind of pour rumble into that. 
So that's what was really the challenge as we acquired Rumble is kind of creating this new footprint and then rolling it out. And we did that, you know, probably a few months in, really even after we had started selling territories, we knew where we were going with it, but we didn't have it set up yet. So that was a little bit challenging and kind of telling people, you know, this is what it's going to look like, but come on board. We've got it now. We've got our first location that was built out in uh, Las Vegas just this month. We have our first first studio that's going to open in Anchorage this month of all places. Um, And then we've got about 35 that are in the pre-sale process today, um, selling memberships and continuing their build out that will get open here very quickly. How do you guys run a pre-sale? That would really be the secret sauce of of being a part of our our expo brand, but I can give you sort of the highlights, not too uncommon from what you'd see in in other fitness concepts that that open up and start selling memberships before they get open. But we have a very robust marketing and sales process as we, we start. And we start probably a little bit earlier than most people would in that process. Most people would wait till you have your lease and you kind of go from there. We really start once you have a site selected and you kind of agreed to terms with the landlord. We have a very good uh, real estate program here, and we've got about a 99% success rate uh, even before you sign that lease. And so we're pretty confident at that point that you're going to be able to open there. So we're going to start driving leads. We're going to start selling memberships, and we're going to get that process going. Um, it's, it's sort of a, a mandated marketing program and sales process. We've got third-party vendors that help out with that. So we're able to do it even before you open and and hire staff. So we have benchmarks that we want to see at certain points along that path to where, you know, once you get to soft open, we've got this bulk of founding members that are really helping to drive the business as you get open and then really escalate your, your member base from there. That's really interesting. Yeah. Cause I think that's one of the advantages of really working with an established brand is that you can do a pre-sale that's far out. I mean, if it, if it's a newer brand, you really can't generate a pre-sale that's more than, you know, five, four months yeah. before opening. So to be able to, to leverage that the power of the brand in advance, and then obviously driving referrals through pre-sale because those first few members get all the referral perks, right? Because they're building the club along with you. That's really interesting. Just had to ask. I, I get that you can't give away the special sauce, but you know, of course I have to ask. Yeah. No, something that we created, we created back at Club Pilates and really perfected that we refer to as our opening support program that's been layered into all the other brands as well. So it's, it's worked incredibly well. And so do you have to make any special tweaks for international expansion? Are there any major changes that happen there or is it more so just like credit card processing and whatnot? Yeah, we we do, I would say 99% of our international deals as master franchise relationships. So basically they become us in that foreign country. So from our perspective is just training them on sort of some of the aspects of being a franchisor because now they're going to be the franchisor in Spain or Australia or New Zealand, whatever it is. And so we make sure that they have the connections with the vendors, that they have all the things that we have here and help them drive you know, the support process for them to franchise in their country. The exception to that is Canada. We always treat Canada as an extension of the U.S. just because there are so many similarities across the border. And so Canada is really you know, the one that is a little bit more difficult from us to scale because we're operating 
and supporting them from here, as opposed to trying to do that around the country, or around the world. So that's why we, we have those masters and we help support the master who supports their franchise partner in their country. But it is a little bit different, you know, especially when there's, there's language uh, barriers and, and some of those things where we have to, you know, help them to translate what we're really trying to accomplish here, but in their language to their people and their culture and all those sort of things. So there's been, for example, when we opened Club Pilates in, in Japan, there were some cultural differences in the way that we market and the way that we sell here in the U.S. that would just never work there. And so there was sort of that kind of trial and error in working with them and telling them what we do. And they're like, no, 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 we can't do that here. So, okay, well, let's back up. Let's figure out what we're trying to accomplish and how do we do that in your culture? Similarly with Saudi Arabia, you can imagine trying to operate fitness studios in Saudi Arabia, where most of our concepts here are, are female driven. And so, you know, getting that kind of assimilated to that Saudi Arabian culture was, was very difficult in working with them and what can they actually do there and get away with and be, be successful with. So there are some, some challenges there internationally, probably mostly cultural, but for our, from our perspective, it's just supporting that master franchisee there and helping them to be us in that country, helping to find a way to maintain brand standards and kind of really understand how important that is for them, or, you know, for them to understand how important it is for us to protect our brand in that country and do it as we do it as closely as possible. It's kind of probably the biggest challenge I've got. Well, that makes sense. So as we touched on a little bit earlier, the brand of Rumble, you know, the founders did an amazing job with creating the brand. The brand is kind of edgy and disruptive. It's not necessarily something that I would think resonates with all people, right? So when they first rolled out Rumble, it was mostly in A markets. Now, as a franchise for Expo, you're going to be rolling this out to all different types of markets, B markets, C markets. How does the brand and and that brand voice, that edginess transfer over to those markets? Did you have to make any adjustments there? As of today, no. You know, as we get into middle America and we see, you know, what works and doesn't work, in specific markets, we may have to make some tweaks. Right now, we don't plan to. It, it's, it's you know, if you want to bring it to your market, then you're going to understand what it is. And, you know, you either have to realize that your community is going to accept that or they're not. You know, we're not, we have music and playlists that we send out every month to every studio that is identical. So we're not going to change the music. We're not going to change um, the way our instructors teach because that may not work in, you know, Clearwater, Florida versus Miami or something like that. Right. Somebody made a statement to me the other day that I thought, yeah, you're spot on. He said, you know, Rumble is a very sexy brand, but how sexy is it going to be in a strip center in Omaha next to a lens crafters? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, I'm dying. Absolutely. Right. Uh, but that's the challenge that we have. And, and that's, you know, those are some of the markets that we're selling into. And so, Obviously, when we go into that market, we do a lot of data analysis on the demographics to make sure that we think it's going to be successful there before we sell it. We don't just sell it and say, yeah, go do it. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. We've never closed an expo brand and we never plan to. So we're very methodical about the markets that we go into and try and, and ensure that our franchise partners are going to be successful before we even sell them the territory. So we do a lot of, of analysis on you know the markets across the country and, and where we think we can be successful. Honestly, with a lot of our brands, we track Orange Theory 
And so where Orange Theory has gone and been successful, we feel like we can kind of follow that trail mark with a lot of our brands. But time will tell with some of these markets that we get into. We just sold um, a territory in Evansville, Indiana the other day. And so, you know, that's middle market America. We'll see. We'll see how that translates. But they're super excited about it. They think their community is going to resonate with it well. We are, we're also tracking a lot of our cycle bar because we feel like this, this model is and this concept is pretty similar and complementary to cycle bar just in the music, uh, in the high intensity, that sort of thing. So if it does well in a market, we feel Rumble will do really well in that market as well. What about Rumble's second studio concept, Rumble Training? Are you franchising specifically the traditional model of the boxing or also Rumble Training? Currently, we're just franchising the boxing model. We're looking, we, we love the training model as well, but we have other concepts under the Expo brand that are similar to that, like Stride for example. So how do we incorporate maybe kind of stride into that or, you know, that sort of running and, and strength training combo, more of a boot camp? Is that a separate brand all in itself? Or is it something that we incorporate into what we're doing? We own the Rumble training concept, but right now we're not franchising it as Rumble training. We're looking at, at how can we best accomplish getting that modality out to the market. And it may end up being that it's Rumble training, but more than likely it's going to be either repackaged with one of our other brands, or it's going to be um, kind of converted into a new operating model all of itself. Right. That makes sense. But I would say when you mentioned Orange Theory earlier, that made me think of, you know, Rumble Training. And I would think that Barry's would be a huge competitor to Rumble Training yeah. as well. So I think right now, something that you know, we're all talking about is just this great resignation and finding talent is is so hard. I don't know exactly why so many people are out of the workforce or, you know, there's there's a variety of reasons yeah. behind all of this. But, you know, what are you what tips are you giving your partners, you know, to help them find the right talent to keep the machine afloat? Because that could be a challenge for franchise partners like, hey, we don't have the right coaches. We can't find front desk people. It's like, how, how are you helping them with that challenge? That's another sort of part of the secret sauce and the opening support program and, and, and how we help to source and staff from the very beginning. And, and we, as we set up a studio to open and soft open, we ensure that they have all those pieces in place as they get open and, and start operating. Some of our modalities are a little bit more challenging. Like you look at, at Club Pilates, for example, our instructors have to have a 500 hour certification in Pilates before they can even go through our bridge training to become a club Pilates instructor. Rumble is much easier in that we don't need that. And, and the other great thing about what we have at Rumble is we've got over 10,000 instructors currently under the exponential fitness umbrella. And many of those are cycle bar instructors, row house, yoga six that translate really well into teaching a Rumble class. For us, you don't necessarily need to be a boxer if you have group group X experience and you've taught, you know, classes to large groups of individuals, you've got high energy, you've got a good personality, those sort of things, we can teach you the boxing component of it in a couple of weeks. And, and you can be, you know, a very good rumble instructor. We have a program that we call the contender program right now. It's a four week process that we run them through from, you know, video audition all the way through stage training and, and kind of understanding how to how to command both sides of that rumble room, the boxing side and the strength and conditioning side, and then crossing them over and keeping it all going with the flow. So we, we help source through different platforms, vendors that we have engagements with. 
And we also do a lot of the initial interviewing for our franchise partners on the general manager side and on the instructor side. And so we give a ton of feedback. We're very supportive in that process. We never really, we don't try and cross the line between employer and employee relationship. That's you know solely up to our franchise partner, but we, we help and support them as much as we can up to the point where they need to make a decision on who they're going to hire and then kind of work that through that employment process. But we're very engaged in that from you know the day they start pre-sale until they soft open. If they lose people along the way, then we have sort of a re-engagement process as well. And it, it becomes a lot easier once you have multiple locations open in a market because then you can kind of cross-pollinate throughout that market. So that's kind of the process and, and how we've done it. We've seen a lot of challenges right now, as you're kind of describing with this, this great resignation. We, we pay very well for our classes and they're fun and they're exciting. And it's, it's kind of things that people want to do that most of them do in conjunction with another job or another profession. We try and, and give them the opportunity to make it a full-time job so you don't have to do anything else. But a lot of times our instructors, you know, are, are doing something else in addition to their job with us at, at one of our modalities. Right. But that's kind of like the nature of this beast in the fitness industry. But it, you know, I guess what you're saying makes a lot of sense because you have the X-Pass for clients, right, where they can you know, cross pollinate across the different expo brands. And then you have this opportunity on the back end side for the employees where they can train against these, you know, in these different modalities and they can be essentially a full-time expo employee if they're working for these different brands. So the more brands you have in the marketplace, the better it is for the employees and the more opportunities. So, you know, with your background in boxing and coming, you know, it has kind of come full circle with rumble. How do you find that happy medium between, you know, real boxing and, you know, fitness boxing without losing the essence? And was that something that you kind of grappled with in the beginning, you know, with your, you know, background? I mean, sometimes we can be kind of fitness snobs. I know I can be. Yeah, no, it was in the beginning. It was challenging because I really had my LA boxing hat on. When I'm, when I'm looking at it and we're redesigning what the studio should look like, I had to really take a step back and talk to the founders and talk to a guy named Andy Stern, who we brought over from the Signature Rumble team to really run the programming and you know the talent acquisition and all those things that he helped to build with the initial Rumble brand. And so after having a few conversations with him, it, it, the light turned on and I was like, okay, I got it. This isn't this isn't your traditional boxing. This is fun, have a great workout and not even realize that you're having a workout by the end of the time that you're done because you're having so much fun. But you're getting the same, you know, boxing workout that you would get. You're just not so heavily focused. One of the challenges we had at LA Boxing in getting instructors is we had to have professional fighters who were our instructors. And so we would have these fighters that just had no personality. And you know, they were like, "No, that's not the way that you you run a class. You don't have music playing when you're when you're teaching a class and, you know, you got to have a dirty thing over here. And it's just, it was very difficult. Now we don't have to deal with that. Now it's more, I don't want to call it glamorized, but it really is. It's a fun environment. Like I said, it's almost like a nightclub where these people are coming in. They're getting a great workout. They're enjoying themselves for an hour. They're forgetting about everything else in their life. And then they're able to walk out the door and can't wait to get back into the next class. So for me, it was, it was a moment where I did have to check myself uh, because I still do those heavy, intensive, traditional boxing workouts. I love it. I spar, I do, you know, I do all those things that we just don't do at Rumbles. It's not part of the concept. 
Right. And it's easier to market this type of brand, I would assume, than, you know, and talk a hard time finding talent when your talent pool is only professional fighters. That could be challenging. Right. But, you know, I could definitely see that this is a marketable product. You know, the the I don't know how many people, you know, there are a lot of people that want to do real boxing, but then there's a certain amount of people like I I would do a boxing class at Rumble, but I'm not going to put in a mouth guard and like get punched in the face. No, thanks. (laughs) I'm not that hardcore, but you are. That was the difference. A lot of people want to do it until they get punched in the face. And then they're like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. And that's the average person. People just don't want to do that. Right. But um, that's the great thing about, about Rumbles. There's, there's nobody necessarily holding pads and running around and, you know, you're not, you're not going to get hit. You're not going to hit anyone. You're just going to have a great time. We don't use the traditional bags that you would see in most boxing facilities. Those are like the Muay Thai long kind of stand-up bags. We use these water-filled teardrop bags um, that are very forgiving on your hands. You know, it's just, it's just a good workout. It's just fun. So last question, what's next for you, Sean, and for Rumble? Well, for me, I'm not sure. I seem to have these, these uh, temporary deviations from what I'm doing, but rumble rumbles on its way. It's going to, it's going to absolutely be the next kind of club Pilates that we have under this expo brand. Like I said, we've sold 200 this year. There's no telling how many we're going to sell next year. We've got, you know, a lot to get open and that's going to be the focus for the coming year. For me, I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to stick with this until the next thing comes along and we'll see where that takes us. Hopefully not back to the FBI. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you, Sean. If somebody wants to learn more about you or Rumble, how can they do that? They can reach out to us via our website, um, www.rumbleboxinggym.com or contact me here at at Exponential Fitness, Sean at exponentialfitnessexponential.com. Wonderful. Thanks so much. I can't wait for you guys to open in Miami selfishly. It's coming soon. (laughs) Hi, everyone. This is your host, Vanessa Severiano. Thanks for tuning into this episode. If it brought you value, please subscribe, review, and share the Business Side of Fitness podcast. If you'd like to learn more about working with me, please click the link in the show notes. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.